Uh, with a quick show of hands, uh, how many of you all have ever had an interview for the opportunity of a lifetime, like it's your dream job, or perhaps if you're in med school, you're doing your residency interviews. How many of y'all have ever been in that situation where you've had a high pressure interview knowing that you had a really incredible job? Anybody ever had that before? All right, a lot of you have had that. So several years ago, I was asked by a young pastor I'd been mentoring to do a little help on an interview. He was interviewing for a job at his dream church, dream opportunity, incredible opportunity. So he said, hey, this is one of those once in a lifetime gigs, opportunities, callings, so I just need you to help me with this. And so I met with him and did a mock interview. So I asked him just standard questions that you would ask in a typical pastoral interview. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of doing the interview, he asked me to give him an assessment on the interview itself. And so I just said, something I noticed is this, that you would say something and I ask you a question about like, what's your philosophy of ministry? And then you'd give me an answer. And then you would stop in the middle of that answer and say, to be honest, and then you would keep going with another answer. And I said, what that communicates to me is this, that when you say to be honest, it sounds like everything that you shared up to that point is a lie, and you're trying to deceive me, and now you're saying, hey, to be honest, now I want to share what's truly like what I believe or think. And so I said, I know what you mean. I know you're not saying to be honest in the sense I've been lying to you and deceiving you for the last 20 minutes. And now to be honest, I'm going to share the truth. What you really want to say probably is to be frank. Like if you're going to be really open about something, to be frank with somebody. Or maybe you say, hey, to be transparent, right? To kind of bear your heart or bear your soul, to be transparent. Because when you say to be honest, again, it makes it sound like that you are purposely trying to deceive somebody. And we say it all the time. We say honestly, or I swear to you, or to be honest, or TBH, or whatever, even in text. And again, it makes it sound like all the stuff we've been talking about before that has been a lie or has been deceptive. And so we're going to look at today from God's Word, from Matthew 5, as we continue the series, how us as God's people, as what I would call kingdom citizens, if I could retitle this Sermon on the Mount series, it'd be uh, Life as Kingdom Citizens is how should it be for us when it comes to being truthful and following through our commitments? What should be different about us as kingdom citizens when it comes to what comes out of our mouth? And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37 this morning. And again, welcome everybody viewing online as well. What we're going to look at today is what is God's ask of us, standard of us as his followers in terms of truth and promises, truth and promises. He says this in verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, and these are the six things he's going over uh, from the Old Testament and how the Pharisees interpret it. You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And he's quoting there, I believe, Numbers 30, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23, and even the Ten Commandments. Not to take the Lord's name in vain. So he says, again, you heard the ancients are told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Verse 34, here's that but. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or one hair or another black. Uh, this is before the days of hair coloring and all that, obviously. Um, 
So here's the principle, and I'll explain further and expound on those verses. So here's the principle. Our honesty is defended by our character, not by our words. So what comes out of our mouth, those words that come out of our mouth are not defended by more words. When you say, I swear on my mother's grave, or to be honest, or honestly, or I swear, he says, that's not what really backs up your words. What backs up your words, my words, our words, is our character, is our character. That's what Jesus is talking about. And the reason why he is coming at the Pharisees and coming at us like this is because we tend to find loopholes. We tend to find ways that we can get around God's commandments. And so in Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, hey, when you make an oath and you make it before the Lord and you say, I swear to God, like we do, or you swear in the Bible and you say, I swear to God, he says, God is going to hold you to that. The word here in the Greek in verse 33 for vow or oath is horkus. And in the Hebrew, it's a similar word uh, in the Hebrew. And the word literally means to bind, to bind, to commit yourself, to glue yourself, to make yourself stuck on doing something. That's what the word vow means. And so if you say, I vow before the Lord, I swear to the Lord, you put your hand on the Bible or in a marriage ceremony, you make an oath and you make a covenant commitment to your spouse before God. He says, God is going to hold you accountable to that. You are bound to God for that. So don't take it lightly. And so what the Pharisees did was this. They said, but we found a loophole. What they would do, verse 34, but I say to you, make no vow or oath at all, either by heaven or the throne of God, or for it is the throne of God. So what they would do, knowing that if they made a vow, an oath to God, that they would be required or accountable to keep it, they would say, like it says in verse 34, I swear by heaven. I swear by heaven. Or they would say in verse 35, or I swear by earth, or I swear by Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, uh, verses, I think, 16 through 22, he gives them eight woes. And there they swear by the gold in the temple and temple and all those things. And the reason why the Pharisees did that was this. Because, again, it's their loophole. If I say, and I'm trying to build your trust and trying to get you to look at me as someone who's super spiritual and loves God... And I make a commitment to you, like I'm going to pick you up from the airport. I'm going to come to community group with you. And I say, and I swear on Jerusalem. And then I renege on that commitment. You're going to say, hey, you swore on Jerusalem that you would come to community group with me. You swore on Jerusalem that you picked me up from the airport. You swore on earth that you would buy me this new outfit, or whatever it is. And then the Pharisee would say like this, like we used to cross our fingers behind our back. They say, I have my fingers crossed behind my back. And it was an out for them to renege on their commitment or promises because they could technically say, but I didn't swear to God. I didn't swear to God. If I had sworn to God that I would do it, you could hold me accountable. But because I swore to the earth or to Jerusalem or to the temple, he says, look, you can't hold me accountable to that. And what Jesus says in verses 34, 35, and 36 is this. He says, all those things, even if you swear by the hair on your head, you are bringing God into that. Because he says there in verse 34, he says, um, the heaven is God's uh, throne. The earth is God's footstool. Jerusalem is the city of God or the great king. And he says, you can't control the color of your hair, but God does. When you bring all those things into consideration, you are technically bringing God into your oath. So what he's saying is your lifestyle, your character, who you are should back up what you say, not more empty promises, not more words. Um, let me give you five types of people. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, hopefully you can say amen to some of these. So 
Studies have shown that on average, I think every American adult lies 1.6 times a day on a self-reported survey. We lie 1.6 times a day. Whether it's a white lie or whether it's a bold-faced lie, we lie on a regular basis. And we know, John 8, 44, that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the truth, John 14, 6. So we walk in the ways of deception and the enemy when we lie. And relationships, the church, is built on truthful relationships. And so truth is important. But again, none of us hopefully are just out and out lying and we have to say, I swear to God or swear to this, whatever. Let me give you five types of people. The first one is this, and if your name is mentioned, please forgive me. Uh, flattering Frank, flattering Frank. Flattering Frank and encouraging Emily say the exact same words. When you're having a rough day, when you're having a difficult time with your child, when you're having a difficult time at work, encouraging Emily comes around and will share words of truth from God's word to encourage you so that you will feel better or think better of yourself. Now, flattering Frank gives the same words, but flattering Frank's good words or truthful words are given with deceptive motives because flattering Frank doesn't want you to think good of yourself. He wants you to think good of him. Or let's say flattering Francine. She wants you to think better of her. And here's the theological root for that is because they're literally trying to control you. They're trying to get you to do what uh, they want you to do. And that's why they flatter you. So again, truthful words, right words, but wrong motives. Flattering Frank or flattering Francine. And this is the root issue, is they do not believe that God is in control. They have to try to control you in the situation. And the way they do that is by flattering you so that you think, okay, this person, I owe them something. I ought to do something good. Because the root issue is a lack of Trusting that God is in control. Opportunist Oscar. Opportunist Oscar. Again, if your name is Oscar, I apologize. Opportunist Oscar. Opportunist Oscar is this guy. This gal. Haven't seen your community group in a while. We'll see you Friday night. I'll be there. I swear on my mother's grave. I'll be there on Friday night. Opportunist Oscar, he's going to be there. Little known to you, little known to you is there's a coworker at Oscar's work who says, bro, I got courtside seats to the Rockets this Friday night. Obviously right now it doesn't matter, but anyway, he would say, I got courtside seats to the Rockets or whatever, or I'm going to the Texans game. And he says, even though he's made that commitment, he says, you know what? I have an even better opportunity. So what opportunist Oscar does is he either does not commit. So he'll say, yeah, I might be there. Uh, like on Facebook or those things, he would put maybe. He'll put a maybe on there. But he's waiting for something better. He's the guy, he's the gal that's serial dating, think, thinking there's someone better and not willing to commit. He's the one who accepts a job offer and says, man, I got this job offer, calls all his friends, but in all the interviews he's doing, the next day he gets another job offer that's better. What does he do even though he's made a commitment? He's an opportunist. He's going to say, sorry, but I got a better offer. Or even like a month later, he's been on the job and he takes his other job, even though he's committed to being a part of this new job. Here's the root issue with that. Can I trust God for the best? Can I trust God for the best? That's the root theological issue. That if you believe there's a God in heaven who loves you as his child and has the best for you, that if you will be a man or woman of character and integrity, that God will use that for the best that he has for you. Again, not saying the fat crib, the nice car, and the nice neighborhood, and 2.3 kids, and a happy marriage. That's what I'm talking about. The best is in 
using you for his kingdom purposes and making you more like Jesus Christ. Write this verse down. We don't have time to turn there. Psalm 15, 4. Psalm 15 is all about who can worship on God's holy mountain. And it's a list of character and attributes of the man or woman of integrity. And Psalm 15, 4 says it this way. The man or woman of integrity, of character, keeps his promises, keeps her promises, even when it hurts. Even when, let's say they're selling their house and they get an offer, they accept the offer and they get another offer even though they accepted the offer, signed all the paperwork and they get an offer for 50000 100000 more, a job that pays even more. They say, you know what? I believe God has the best and I believe that God will honor me if I honor this commitment. So the righteous man, the righteous woman, Psalm 15, 4, follows through on their commitments even when it hurts them. It's getting really quiet in here. The next one is disorganized Diane. Disorganized Diane. Disorganized Diane is the person who you say, disorganized Diane, what happened? You didn't show up to community group. Man, we had that service project at Cornerstone. Where were you? And she's like, oh, I totally forgot. I just, you know, I had this at work and then I had this meeting and I, I just totally forgot. Disorganized Diane doesn't show up and doesn't follow through because of this theological principle. She doesn't understand the principle of stewardship, that God has given every one of us 86,400 seconds every day for us to manage. And this is what you can do with that 86,400 seconds. You can spend it, you can invest it, and you can waste it. But because she doesn't understand how time works, she just kind of flippantly lives her life or her, his life. And so the key issue there is stewardship, is stewardship. Seeing the time that you have, you can, again, you can spend it, you can waste it, or you can invest it. But here's the thing. Imagine it this way. If we take away the amount we sleep, really we only have about 50,000 seconds a day, 50,000 seconds. If I were to give you every morning $50,000 that would appear in your bank account, $50,000, right? And I say, you've got to either spend it, waste it, or invest it, right? We'd be very diligent about that. But here's the difference between time and money. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And so disorganized Diane, disorganized David needs to understand the time that they have is in stewardship to God, just like our money. Um, how many of y'all in here just honestly have a hard time saying no? You're saying yes to everything. Party invites, stuff at work, projects, everything. All right, so we'll talk about number four. Learn to say no, Larry. Learn to say no, Larry. Learn to say no, Larry. Or learn to say no, what's the female name? LaQuisha. Learn to say no, LaQuisha. All right. This is the person who says yes to everything. Yes to this community group. Yes to this women's Bible study. Yes to this service project. Yes to outdoor service. Yes to indoor service. Yes to serving here. Yes to their mom to come for Thanksgiving. Yes to their roommate to come for Thanksgiving. They say yes to everything and they overcommit themselves. And the root issue there is because of their desire to please people, their desire to keep everybody happy, the desire to please people. Because when you say yes to a person's invitation for a project or a party or an event, they're like, yay, and you are happy we're pleased. And this is what we fail to remember, that Jesus Christ at his baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven and says, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When you trust Jesus Christ, you are now baptized into Christ. God now sees you through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. And so you are fully pleasing to God. 
Did y'all know that? You are fully pleasing to God. Fully pleasing to God. Not because in and of yourself you're pleasing, but because God is fully pleased with Jesus Christ. And I believe that often we fear people and what they think of us more than we fear God. And so if you wrestle with people pleasing, here's the thing you can do is to remember theologically that I'm fully pleasing to God. I can displease people because ultimately I'm pleasing to God. And secondly, you know what? I fear God and I want to be, uh, live a life pleasing to him in Christ rather than pleasing everybody. And so you have to learn to say that very difficult word, no. So learn to say no, Larry, or learn to say no, Laquisha. The last one is this, and this is the root at why we overcommit, we lie, we make a commitment and then renege on it, and then try to clean it up and try to make all these excuses why we lie, is image conscious Eileen, image conscious Eileen, or image conscious Icky, all right? Image conscious Eileen. And this is the reason why we lie. This is why your kids lie. Because parents, did you have to teach your kids how to lie? Anybody in here teach your kids how to lie? No. What did you have to do? You had to teach your kids to tell the truth. Because your kids know that if they tell the truth, there is something their parents are going to be displeased with them. They're going to anger their parents. If you tell the truth, people are going to look down, not as highly of you. They're going to say, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you went to Bayou City Fellowship. I thought you were a community group leader. And so the tendency for us to lie is based on an image we're trying to project. So image conscious Eileen or image conscious Icky. And the reason why is this. Because we believe if we have an image of who we want people to perceive and see, then people will love me and accept me. And if I don't have this image of being all together and righteous and holy and all this stuff and got my life together, then people will not love me and accept me. But can I tell you some more good news? God loves you. God loves you. Here's the thing. There's nothing that you can do to make, you God, make God love you more. There's nothing you do. You, you showed up this morning at Bayou City Fellowship in the middle of a corona season and all this stuff. And you're probably thinking, man, I got out of bed. I had breakfast. I came out here. God does not love you anymore. There's nothing you do to make God love you anymore. Here's the other piece of the good news. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You can commit the most worst, crazy, horrific sin over and over again as a child of God, and God will still love you the same. There's nothing you can do. You are loved. Because again, he says, behold, my beloved son. He's beloved. You and I are the beloved Secondly, is we're accepted. I think it's uh, Romans 12 or 13. It says, accept one another just as God in Christ has accepted you. You're fully accepted in Christ. You don't have to seek God's acceptance. You're fully accepted in him. And so for image conscious Eileen, image conscious Icky, you don't have to lie. And when you do lie or break a commitment, you can ask for forgiveness and confess it because you're fully loved and accepted by God. And hopefully the people closest to you are the same. They love you and accept you for you. Um, I was once involved in a very, very nasty church discipline situation. Matthew 18 talks about church discipline, that if you have a brother or sister in Christ who's in sin, you go to them first uh, privately, just one-on-one, -on -one, and then if they don't listen, then you bring a partner, somebody with you. And then finally, at the end, you tell it to the church, you tell it to the pastors, had the situation, this uh, staff member on this church staff had embezzled $300,000, almost $300,000 
over a two-year period from a church whose budget was around $400,000. So he was stealing about 20% church's budget. Uh, this team of elders and lawyers and others like, did a very lengthy investigation, bank statements, interviews, and found all these other things that he had done. And so they had a final meeting. I was there. And they asked him a very direct question, lie. Very direct question, lie. Bank statement here, lie. What about this, lie. What about this, lie. Just lie after lie after lie. We finally wrapped up about an hour and a half, two hours later, after all these lies and half-truths, because the half-truth is still a half-lie. And this guy said, I have something final close with. And so we all got quiet. And we thought he was going to say, I'm so sorry, I repent, I'm broken, and all that. And he says... I know without a shadow of a doubt, I swear to God, that everything I've shared in the last hour, two hours, whatever, is totally truthful. I just swear to God. And he said, I will lay my head on my pillow tonight. Very dramatic too. Pillow tonight. Knowing that I have told you the truth. But that's the principle right here. That was the Pharisees. And that's many of us, if not all of us. We try to back up our words by emphatically saying, I'm telling you the truth, when really it should be our character that backs it all up. He was later, uh, uh, he did not repent. He was uh, disciplined. He was indicted. He's on probation now, sadly, and he still has not repented. So God is saying this. God is saying this. Don't look for the loophole. Just be a truthful person. Let me give you a parenting advice right here for the parents of 18 and under and for those who hope to be parents one day. Um, how many of y'all want your kids to tell the truth? How many of y'all want the, your kids to tell the truth? All right. How many of y'all want your kids to follow through on commitments? How many of y'all want to follow through on commitments? Especially when they commit to clean their rooms. How many of y'all want them to commit to clean their rooms? Amen. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. You can teach your kids all the biblical principles and truths of the scripture. God's a promise keeper. You should keep your promises. Satan is a liar. You shouldn't lie. God is a truth. Objective reality is based on our standard, which is God. You should always tell the truth. You can teach your kids that. But if you as a parent commit to your kid, if you say, Johnny, Alicia, whatever names you want to use, if you clean your room, after you clean your room, I'm going to go take you for ice cream. Johnny gets his room clean. LaQuisha gets her room clean. Michelle gets her room clean. Comes out and says, I got my room clean, Daddy. I got my room clean, Mommy. Right? And you've made that commitment. And this is how it always happens. You get that email or that call from your boss right at the same time. Been there before, right? And then you say, ah, uh, not right now. Answer the phone call, type your thing, do your projects. Your kids see that. So you can tell your kids so you're blue in the face. You always follow through in your commitments. But when they see, man, mommy and daddy don't keep their commitments. Mommy and daddy don't always tell the truth. I've heard my dad lie to the boss saying, you know what, I was doing this. He wasn't there. He was at the soccer game with me. And so this is what you can do. If you want to have healthy, gospel-centered kids, as an adult, as the more spiritually mature one, more is caught than taught. Your kids are seeing that. Is to apologize to your kids. Apologize to your kids and say, you know what? Daddy apologizes. I told you if you clean your room, I was going to take you for ice cream. 
Even though this email came in, I should have pushed pause on that and I should have taken you to get uh, ice cream. Because of that, will you forgive daddy? And hopefully uh, Johnny and Michelle and Laquisha and others say, I forgive you, daddy. And then you say, you know what, to make it up to you, I'm going to get you two scoops of ice cream tomorrow. <laughs> all right, let all the kids say amen. <laughs> kids see that, y'all. Kids see it. And they see the hypo hypocrisy and the disconnect between what you say and how you live. And so when they see that as parents, ask for forgiveness. You're like the car who's signaling right but goes to the left. And we do it this way. Often when we want people to think well of us, we, we say to people, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's grab lunch. Knowing inside, we have no desire at all to grab lunch or coffee with them. It's probably just me, right? <laughs> and I don't know about you all, but in the church, this is what we say. When we're, we're ready to like end the conversation or do whatever, right? And people are like talking to us about the situation. We say, I'll be praying for you. And then you walk off. Can y'all admit, probably 90% of the time, do you pray for them? You just use it as a spiritually sounding closer so that people think highly of you as a Christian man or woman and walk off. So what I do typically uh, is, when I say let's grab lunch, I'll get my phone out and say let's grab lunch. Or if I say I'm praying for you, I'll just put my hand on you and lay my hand on your shoulder and pray for you right there. But we really need to be men and women of integrity. And again, it's not external rules. It's because God has changed our heart. It's from the inside out. So here's the principle here. Here's the principle, the application. Verse 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. And again, he's not saying don't take vows and make oaths. Put your hand on the Bible. Get married, have a ceremony, all those things. God even takes oaths by his own name. There's no other name he can take it by. Paul took oaths. Not saying don't take oaths. He's saying basically don't look for the loophole. Instead, let your character, your life, back up what you say. Here's the application. Our character should be so solid that every word that comes from our mouth should be like an oath. Every word that comes from our mouth should be like an oath. Because we're kingdom citizens from the inside out. Jesus said, what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. People say, man, that, that, he's such a high character person. She's such a high character person. And I know even if they renege on a commitment, they're going to ask for forgiveness. If they've lied, they're going to ask for forgiveness. They're going to confess it. James 5, 12 says the exact same thing. And a lot of parts of James are almost a repetition of the Sermon on the Mount. James says the same thing. He says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. If you commit to do something and it hurts you to keep that commitment, you're walking as a man or woman of integrity. Write these verses down. Um, Ephesians 4, 15 and 25. Ephesians 4, 15 and 4, 25. He repeats it twice, so it must be important. He says, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out of your mouth in, in the community so we can all grow to become more like Jesus? He says, speaking the truth in love. We should be known as people because spirits at work inside of us that we will speak the truth in love. James 3, 11 through uh, 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12 says that, and I hate this passage, um, is <laughs> the tongue is this little piece like the rudder of a boat. It can set a uh, forest on fire. He says the Holy Spirit gives us self-control, the control to bridle our tongues. To bridle our tongues. So again, our character is so solid as we grow and mature in Christ that what comes out of our mouth should be like an oath because of the work that God is doing inside of us. Uh, many years ago when I was in seminary, I had a big brother. His name was K. 
Kevin. And Kevin was a banker for many years and came back to seminary a little bit later in life. He was a very successful banker. And get this, y'all. When I was at Dallas Seminary, we had a dress code. We actually had to wear a coat and tie every day to class. So this is how old school it was. So here's a like California basketball playing surf bum. I was used to wearing a tank top and, and surf shorts or basketball shorts and my Air Force Ones or Jordans like all the time. That was what I wore. And now going from that in California to now a coat and tie every day. And so I remember Kevin was a banker for many years. And so, I mean, I had this hand-me-down sport coat, hand-me-down ties, like two dress shirts that I never ironed, and like, I think a pair of khakis. He always had the sharpest wool suits. We found out this, that his wife and my wife had the exact same birthday. So often in seminary, we'd go out to uh, dinner together to celebrate our wife's birthday. And I remember one occasion, his wife was pregnant. And so we're sitting there, and all she's talking about is a baby. She's eight months pregnant. She's like squeezing into the booth, talking about diapers and, and all this stuff. And then she got out of the booth. And Kevin was my preacher friend. And his wife got out and she walked out like very gingerly like this. And since he's my preacher buddy, he says, man, my wife sure walks funny. And I said, you might want to let your wife hear that, right? And I said, but Kevin, get this. Because she's got new life inside of her, her talk has changed and her walk has changed. And you know what? As Christians, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, our walk should change and our talk should change. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't have just external talk and make these oaths and vows by Jerusalem or the temple and swear to your mother's grave and say TBH and all that. He says, what comes out because the new life inside of you should be truthfulness. And so here's a big idea for today. My word is bond. My word is bond. Based on, again, that word oath. That word oath in the Greek, it means to bind. And, you know, rappers say it all the time now. Word is bond, right? Word is bond, yo. Word is bond. They get that from Numbers 30, verse 2. It's from the Bible. Because he says, hey, when you make an oath before God, you are bound to that. You are bound by God to keep your commitment. And God takes oaths very seriously. God takes the marriage covenant very seriously because you have made a vow before both witnesses and God that you would be with this woman. So my word is bond. I'm bound. I'm handcuffed to, to do this. Um, how many of y'all have ever had this situation before where you're driving to work, driving maybe to Bayou City, and as you're driving, all of a sudden you can just hear this noise coming out from your car. Or, or some kind of noise, right? So then on Monday, you say, man, I gotta get that taken care of. So what do you do? You go to the car dealership or to the auto repair place. And right, and then you go, and you've done this before, I'm sure. Um, yeah, there's something wrong with my car. Like, this funny noise is coming out. And then they'll say, what does it sound like? And you're like, wiki, 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 wiki. You know, whatever. And, and they're like, okay, give me the keys. And so they take your car, and then they drive your car around the block a couple times. And then they pull back into the service station, the, the repair shop or the car dealership, and then they say this. I couldn't hear it. It stopped making the noise. And they'll say something, are you sure you heard the noise? Right? Have you all had that before? And it just drives you like insane, because you're like, I know I heard the noise. So because of that, this is what I started doing. Whenever I hear a funny noise coming from my car, wiki, 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 or eh, 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 or eh, or anything. You know what I do now? I just turn my stereo up really loud <laughs> so that the sound is greater than that little annoying sound. That's what I do now. And if the sound gets too bad, 
I actually put earplugs in while I'm driving. I'm kidding, y'all. I'm kidding. Because this is what's going on. A funny sound that you hear, an annoying sound that you hear coming from your car is because there's something broken on the inside. And you could try to turn up your stereo and try to crowd out and make all kinds of excuses and cover for it. You can do earplugs, but you know what? The reason why is because there's something broken on the inside. And you know why we lie? Do you know why we flatter people? Do you know why we overcommit and make promises we know we're not going to keep? You know why I have a hard time asking people for forgiveness? The words that come out of our mouth, the sound that comes from our mouth, is because something is broken on the inside. And that's why Jesus came and gave the Sermon on the Mount. He basically wanted to let the Pharisees know, and you and I know, you can try to keep all the rules and have external righteousness. But if you're broken on the inside, that doesn't solve the problem. And Jesus Christ came, he gave his life so that he could redeem you, buy you back, and restore you. He could fix what's broken on the inside. And so again, if you're here today and you've made commitments and you're like, well, and I give my reasons and you say, well, you know, I was late for work and I did this and it's because of this and because of that. And I really didn't mean to swear on this. I was talking about this. And you try to cover up all your broken promises, all your lies. All you're doing is turning the stereo really loud, trying to cover up for what's broken on the inside. So what I want to ask now is we're going to go to God in prayer. And we're going to ask God to search our hearts, the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, whether it's with people here at Bayou City, in your community group, with your children, with coworkers, you can say, you know what, yes, I've overcommitted myself, I've overpromised, I've broken promises, I've lied, I've flattered people, I've been non-committal because I'm opportunist. I really don't trust God for the best. God, we come before you now with our hearts exposed to you. God, you are the great cardiologist. You're in the business of doing heart work. Jesus said in Matthew 10 that what's in our hearts comes out of our mouth. And God, the Pharisees thought they had it cornered, that they had righteousness mastered by making all these vows and oaths that really were meaningless, that were simply meant to impress people, to try to engender trust from people. But God, you've called us to live at a different level. But you say, when we make a commitment, we're making it before you. And you say, because of that, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Anything beyond this is of evil. God, all of us in this room fall short of that. Every single one of us. So God, we pray right now for forgiveness. Would you forgive us, Lord? God, would you also help us seek forgiveness to those that we have broken promises, gone back on commitments, lied to God would you use our time in your word both here today but also our regular time with you to shape our hearts to restore our hearts God would you use time in our community groups to transform our hearts God would you use times when we mentor meet with a mentor a discipler 
to transform and shape our hearts. God, would you use trials, tragedy, and triumph even to mold and shape our hearts. Transform our hearts, God. And as you do, we know that you'll transform the words that come out of our mouth. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit for us to honor commitments, follow through on commitments, like it says in Psalm 15, 4, even when it hurts us. It hurts us financially. It hurts us socially. It hurts us professionally. So we can walk in your ways. God, you're a promise keeper. In the Old Testament, 300 plus times, you promised to send your son, the Messiah, and he came. And you've promised to us that he's coming back. And we trust you. Uh, just heads bowed, still eyes closed. If you uh, need prayer today, again, because of this uh, situation we're in, the spacing, we don't have prayer people, but if you need prayer, just stand right where you are. If you say, you know what? I need help with the words that come out of my mouth. I overcommit. I've broken commitments. I tend to overcommit. I'm disorganized, dying. I like, I'm just scatterbrained. Well, you know what? I lie to preserve an image. If you're that person, just stand right where you are. If you can be courageous, everyone else, you just keep your eyes closed. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you need help and say, God, I need you to. I share one thing with one group of people and something totally different with another. I lie. I want people to think well of me. I flatter. If that's you, would you stand right where you are? Thanks for that hand. God, I just lift these people up to you now who are standing, who are saying boldly and courageously, you're the heart surgeon. You're the heart fixer, the heart regulator. You're the redeemer and restorer. God, you're the only one who can change our hearts. You're the only one who can purify our hearts. You're the only one who can restore our souls. So God, we come before you now. Thank you, God, that those standing here are fully accepted and loved by you. We don't need to seek it from anybody because the only one where it really matters loves us and accepts us. So help them walk in that truth. Again, change their hearts, Lord. Change our hearts. Change my heart, God. Make every word that comes from my mouth be almost a virtual oath because of, Lord, my character, the integrity that would back it up. God, I pray that this church would not be a church where we have to say, to be honest, TBH, or honestly, or swear on anything because we are people who have hearts of integrity, who speak the truth and love to one another so we can all grow in respective to Christ. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all for standing. Hey, one thing too uh, that I want to ask you to do on your app, your Bayou City Fellowship app, if you scroll down like twice, I think there's a prayer section. If you tap prayer, um, if you sense God working your heart today and there's something that we can pray for tap prayer write your prayer request in and you can say if you've been contacted or not and we will pray for you if you say you know what I lied to my wife last week and I need to confess that to my wife 
hey, I committed something to my kids or committed something to my roommate that I reneged on and made all kinds of excuses and I need to confess that. If you have a prayer request, please submit that. We would love to join you in prayer.